Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The Business Council of Canada is nonpartisan, represents the leaders of Canada's top 150 companies, which employ 1.7 million people in this country. And um, we're going to talk about the budget and what it means to everyone in this country, including people in Western Canada who uh, I'm not sure whether they just dropped a few pages when they were reading the budget. Of course, we didn't generally get to hear that, but uh, Western Canada didn't seem to fare all that well. I'm just reading from a news release from the Business Council of Canada. Today's fe- This goes back, of course, to Budget Day. Today's federal budget confirms that Canada's economy has slipped into low gear, underscoring the need for action to boost private sector confidence and ensure a future of good jobs and a high quality of life. The uh, 2019 federal budget includes a number of important measures in areas such as skills development, regulatory reform, housing affordability, and income security for seniors. Uh, But there is still more work to do to address the root cause of Canada's economic challenges, the fact that many other countries offer a more attractive destination for business, investment, talent, and job creation. And it's very sad that that's the reality, but it is. Goldie Hyder is the president and CEO of the Business Council of Canada. Mr. Hyder joins us on the Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Mr. Hyder, thank you very much for the time, and it's true. It's true. Money that should be coming to this country is going elsewhere. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Roy. Yes, you're right. I mean, one of the things about money it's uh, as constant is it follows message. You get the message right, and the money comes. And if you get the message wrong, funny what happens, it doesn't come. And we are succeeding, uh, in fairness. There's been a, uh, you know, a high degree of foreign direct investment coming into the country. But what has happened is it's become very targeted and very regional. And we basically said, it's okay if it's not coming in the, in the oil patch. It's okay if it's not coming in the West. It's okay if you know, the energy sector gets left behind while others get the, get the investment. And it doesn't have to be that way. You can actually do both. You can have a natural resource economy and a knowledge-based economy. We need both at this time. And we do know that investors, uh, managers of large investment funds, have sent letters to the Prime Minister of Canada urging him to, uh, to restore confidence, international investor confidence, in the oil patch, in the energy sector, which is complementary to the needs of this country. There's, we're leaving billions upon billions of dollars on the table. Well, the thing is, there's a misperception that somehow this is just about the West, and I'm glad to have the opportunity to talk to a national show like yours that covers, you know, right across the country, because this is not just a Western issue. It's not just an Alberta issue. I mean, when the oil sands were, um, you know, um, producing at the levels that they're capable of producing, the impact on the Ontario economy alone was about $25 billion worth of GDP. So those who are manufacturing goods and so forth that are related to, um, you know, infrastructure and equipment, uh, are losing out uh, on this. And so it has a ripple effect in the rest of the country. That's one point. Second point is that, you know, it's very difficult to, to tell uh, capital to come to form in Canada with any degree of certainty or confidence if in a scenario in which the federal government has purchased a pipeline that it regulates, that it's approved, that it hasn't been able to get a shovel in the ground yet. And I know it's working very hard to do so, but understand what it means for somebody on the outside of Canada looking in and seeing that and then being told, come and invest in Canada. We're a reliable certain place and it'll, it'll work out good for you. Well, I'm sorry, money has a lot of options globally and we need to smarten up in realizing that um, you, know, you can't just uh, spin your way through capital. You have to, have a, you're going to be able to back it up. Does the Business Council of Canada have concerns about money leaving Canada? 
Yes, we do. Uh, I mean, look, as I said earlier, you know, money is very mobile. But, you know, the other thing about money is it tends to be agnostic, <laughs> right? It tends to go to wherever it gets the greatest return on investment. And in fairness, much of that money, particularly in Canada, is Canadians' money. It's in their stocks. It's in their RSPs. It's in their pension funds. And as Canadians, we want those entities to give us the best return on our investments. And if that's not possible in Canada, you will see more and more uh, capital leaving the country so that Canadians can get a better return on those investments. But it doesn't have to be that way. We are blessed with natural resources right across this country. This is, again, not just a Western issue. You look at the Ring of Fire in Ontario. You look at the hydro capabilities in Quebec. You look at the offshore capabilities on both coasts. This is a national opportunity that we are frittering away because we have become very comfortable and very complacent. And to some extent, the majority of people who are, are, are on board with development have been silenced by a very vocal minority and in many cases a foreign-funded vocal minority. Exactly. I mean, we've talked about that on this program uh, regularly and uh, Frank McKenna was on the show, uh, vice chair of the uh, TD Bank, and Mr. McKenna pointed out that we have lost over $107 billion, bank study, lost over $107 billion over a seven-year period just in the just of the discount that we sell our oil to the Americans to and they're our only customers. We're not we're not we're not approaching this particularly intelligently and, and your 150 companies employ 1.7 million people who'd like to know that their jobs are secure because the the government is uh, is enacting legislation and and regulations which allow the business to be successful and create more jobs. Well, let me tell you two things about that, Roy, because you raised two very important points. First of all, while it is about 1.7 to 2 million Canadians that are employed directly by our members, the reality is there's a multiple of at least three to four times that, which suggests that 6 to 8 million Canadians, many of whom come in the supply chain, particularly in the SMEs, but sometimes it's as simple as the parking attendant, the security guard, the janitor, the person who brings you the lunch (laughs) for your catering service. All of these jobs are reliant on big business. So, well, uh, often, particularly in election years, it becomes open season on big business. Understand who that is. That is us. That is all of us. That, that's a much larger group of people than just targeting you know, some CEOs or some, some large businesses. So that's the first point. Second point, I think it's very, very critical that Canadians understand that the thing we value the most, which is our national sovereignty, our ability to be Canadian, to make decisions about what's in the best interests of Canada, whether in the economy, whether in foreign policy or in social policy, comes from our ability to control our own destiny on our economy. Every day that we decide to ship oil from the north to the south or to, to rely on our ports that are getting over capacity uh, to ship things from the United States is one more day where that sovereignty is being eroded and we need to stand up for Canada in this regard. Well, absolutely. And I don't understand the, the thinking that suggests that if, uh, if large companies, if corporations are doing badly, somehow people win. No, if large corporations are doing badly, corporations that are vested and invested in Canada and are creating, as you said, uh, you know, maybe two million direct jobs and then millions of other spinoff jobs, I don't want you going anywhere. Well, the problem there is attitudinal, right, Roy? I mean, we're going into a deep issue here, which is for 150 years, we've had it pretty good. But the reality is the world is changing at a pace, and it underscores why Canadians are no different than others in the world, that they're feeling the anxiety and the angst, and there's a desire to want to blame somebody and take it out. Just the other day, the OECD reported that Canadians would like to see marginal tax rate at the top go up even higher. You know, that's a feel-good measure. It makes you feel great if you can do that. 
but we need to change our culture from ripping people down who succeeded to helping people rise up to succeed themselves because those who have succeeded at all levels are mobile. Now, didn't the, didn't the Brits introduce legislation that, that raised the tax rates tremendously on the, on the wealthiest in the country? And didn't that cause an outflow of successful people and capital? And didn't the Brits reverse that legislation? It not only did that there, the same thing happened here. I mean, last year alone, I know there's an anecdotal reason that the government wants to cite that why the, the top marginal rate had the lowest amount of revenues produced for the government. Um, let's see what happens year over year. My concern is this. Uh, you know, I've, I get a chance to travel a lot in different parts of the, of the world and in the country. And what I see is, you know, other countries, take Germany, for example. Um, it took several crises before the Germans decided, what do we want to be when we grow up? Because we can't afford to be go- battling from crisis to crisis here. And they had a very concerted effort to build an industrial policy, working with union, working with, you know, with the labor movement, working with, uh, you know, academia and think tanks and government and business and said, we can't afford to be bouncing around like this. We have to figure out what we want to be. And in particularly in Canada, Roy, where we've just discovered our, you know, na- neighbor and best friend and ally sometimes can be an unpredictable best friend, neighbor yeah. and ally. How else do you explain these, the lunacy of these steel tariffs being imposed on right. our industry? Right? right, exactly. So you have to realize that the world is changing and we need to change with it. And I, that, I think, also includes the core issue of our attitude and, our, and, and the approach that we take to big business and growing our economy as opposed to taxing people and redistributing that wealth because there's a runway as to how long that goes and then you don't have any more. Then what are you going to do? Mr. Hyder, please hold on. I want to talk to you some more. Goldie Hyder is my guest. Goldie Hyder is my guest on the program. He's the CEO of the Business Council of Canada. Mr. Hyder, before I ask you about what you see as an upside to the federal budget, which was delivered last week, What is the impact on the business community nationally and the business community that has to deal with Canada or chooses to deal with Canada internationally when we have the kind of upheaval that's going on politically in Ottawa right now? Well, I suspect it gets some attention, but, you know, business is uh, more sophisticated than kind of paying attention to the bouncing ball that is politics. Uh, I think there's far more concern about the need for, uh, you know, um, getting through the Huawei situation and the relationship with China uh, than there would be about this other incident. Okay, so when you look at the budget uh, overall, what got... If not two thumbs up, at least one thumb up. What, what was what was approved? Uh, yeah, I think that's an excellent question. And in fairness, there's a number of things that the government uh, did did say that we're quite pleased with. First and foremost is, you know, we're cognizant that this is an election year, and in an election year, one would expect that the focus would be on people, and this budget rightly was, and we're delighted to see that because those people are our employees, and so anything that we can do to help address their angst, uh, help address some of their anxiety and their hopes uh, for the future, uh, is always a good thing. So particularly, our, our, we're pleased with the investment in, in skills, uh, both for students and in terms of co-op programs and work-integrated learning opportunities. Uh, the business community had, for the last five years, been um, on its own uh, working with academics to uh, uh, essentially fund a program for work-integrated learning. The government's support in the budget will allow us to scale that up quite significantly with the goal of having 100% of kids coming out of university and college an opportunity to get that 
that uh, experience right out of the gate because our experience has been, you know, left on their own. They were left, uh, we were, you know, a little bit surprised to how they weren't ready, if you will. I'm trying to say this as diplomatic as I can, but they weren't ready. But this will help these kids get ready and get uh, get a head start on their career. So we're pleased about that. We're pleased to see uh, other issues, whether for seniors and particularly first-time home buyers, because again, these are people who work for, for Canadian business, large and small, and so anything that uh, can be done to help alleviate their uh, their fears, their concerns, and feel and feed their hopes uh, is a good thing. So we support that. Uh, our issue with it, of course, is all of these things cost money, and we're seeing a runaway spending in terms of uh, the lack of a fiscal plan to pay down the, the deficit uh, overall. And of course, the government feels that that's not necessarily an issue for them. But but I think it should be an issue for Canadians, particularly those with kids and grandkids, because we're we're kind of passing it off to them, and that's not right. Our view is you address these issues by growing the economy. We need to f- to be focused on what it takes to grow our economy, uh, attract talent, attract capital, uh, keep people in Canada, uh, have businesses expand, uh, help with uh, you know foreign investment, uh, get our policies right when it comes to foreign policy and our relationships with the United States, China, and others. Those are key drivers for economic growth, which is ultimately the way in which we're going to be able to invest more in people. Okay. Now, we have talked about Western Canada, Western alienation. Well, if we're going to succeed as a country. We all have to be pulling together in approximately the same direction. Mm -hmm. There has to be a relationship between compass points. Now, I've spoken with uh, several premiers who've raised interesting questions. Premier Scott Moe of of Saskatchewan saying on the air, do we still have a country? That had to do with the Trans Mountain Pipeline extension and British Columbia's uh, essentially vetoing it uh, maybe a year or so ago. Then we had Blaine Higgs on the air, the Premier of New Brunswick, and he talked about attending his first uh, First Minister's conference, and he worried about or was concerned about the Federation. Here's what he said. It makes you wonder if, our, if, if Canada is a nation or an ocean. Is Canada a nation or an ocean? When I hear Mr. Hyder... When I hear provincial premiers say those words, I start to worry. I do too. Uh, I do too, Roy. It's the uh, main reason I took this job is as a very proud Canadian, I'm quite worried uh, about where we find ourselves. But I'm very pleased that uh, at least the organization I now lead uh, has uh, you know 150 plus CEOs in the country who are prepared to take the baton of leadership something that seems to have been um, abandoned, if you will, particularly by the growing polarized political environment in which we find ourselves. And our leaders are recognizing that um, they have a role to play in public policy. They have a role to play in nation building, uh, even though they're, you know, CEOs elected, I mean, not elected, but appointed to do the jobs that they have. Uh, there's an expectation on the part of our employees that, you know what, uh, Canada is more important than anything else. We need to make sure that we're doing what we can to, to grow it and to build it and to save it. Uh, it's not an easy country to govern. You know, the regions are obviously uh, have their issues. We have the indigenous uh, communities issues. We have the, you know, the Quebec factor here. Uh, but look, these are the people who sought political office and they need to know that the responsibility that comes with it is to help bring us together, yeah. uh, not tear us apart. But I am worried about the country and I think we need to, uh, a real wake-up call, Roy. So I applaud you and others for at least having honest conversations with Canadians about this. Well, Mr. Hyder, I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much. I hope we can have you back. I'd look forward to it. Thanks, everyone. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Goldie Hyder is the CEO of the Business Council of Canada. 
if you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 